0: Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Well, um, I'm excited about this. Um, Several years ago when I was reading through the Bible, um, through Exodus, whenever this phrase um, popped out to me, uh, it would just really stand out to me. And it was was, um, when God said, I brought you out of the house of bondage. And um, God just has spoken to a lot, a lot to me over the years about bringing us out of the house of bondage. So I'm, I'm gonna start a brand new series I'm kind of along these lines, and I've entitled this series, Welcome to the Promised Land. And, um, man, the first thing that we need to know that when we receive Jesus, we have left the house of bondage. And and bondage is a very real thing. And if you do not have Jesus, um, there is all types of bondage that goes on. Um, Where we see this phrase, house of bondage, it occurs, first of all, in Exodus 13.3. So if you have your Bible, you can go there to Exodus 13.3. And um, if you're an underliner, a highlighter, um, you know you you have ink. You might be like my dad. He writes just in his black pen all over his Bible. And um, Heather was doing that. She wanted to erase something. She has an erasable pen. I didn't know there was such a thing. But she bought some erasable pens, and um, she was erasing a page and accidentally ripped, ripped a little bit of it. But but tape tape fixed it. So. Um, but you might want to highlight this house of bondage thing. This has always really stuck, stuck out to me. Exodus 13, verse 3 says, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place, No leavened bread shall be eaten. So he's reminding them of why they take the Passover. It's to remember that that God Almighty, by the strength of his hand, he's the one who brought them out with his strength, with his power. And Jesus is now our Passover. So we need to remember that he brought us out of the house of bondage through his strength, through his power, through the death, burial, resurrection, through the shedding of his own blood. We have left the house of bondage. We have been delivered From all types of bondage, from all types of slavery, we have been set free, spirit, soul, and body. And just as I look around the world today, there are many, many types of bondage, and the enemy will try to enslave people however he can. He wants to enslave people to himself, to idol worship, to sin, to a carnal nature. I was kind of thinking about this, but human nature apart from Jesus is demonic, it's called the sin nature. You know, there's some people who just think that they, they, they're kind of ultra grace and they don't really believe in the sin nature. Without Jesus, people have a sin nature. Without Jesus, the, the human nature is, is, it's demonic and it's going to manifest itself in several different ways. It'll manifest itself through lies. I, I hate lying. Even, even small lies. And I, I've seen all types of people lie. Lying, lying really bothers me. I think I've realized why it bothers me, because lying, in essence, is demonic. Jesus says, says um, you are of your father, who is the father of lies. Lying is, is a demonic manifestation. Selfishness is, is a manifestation of the sin nature. Self-promotion, self-seeking, um, despising God, worshiping idols, false religions. False religions are demonic. Every other religion besides Christianity is demonic. I'm gonna say some very non-PC things tonight. So um, someday the, these um, you know this this video may come back to haunt me if I'm seeking political office. I don't think it'll ever occur, but but any type of religion apart from Jesus is is demonic. And the world has all types of religions they're trying to push. They you know they, they try to fill a void where where they where we're especially here in modern America where people don't have faith so much, they don't have they don't have The values we used to have, even the values I used to have growing up, everything shifted very radically, but now it's just like a kaleidoscope of of worldly religions. And I even saw it when I was in school, you know, like people who who really push this um, climate change thing, and you should take care of of the land, take care of the earth, but people push it so much it becomes a religion. And and people, you know, people, people worship it. And, and um, they'll they worship, worship, you know, eagles' eggs, but then you know, push for, for killing babies in the womb, or babies that are born outside of the womb, even. It, it's really—it's it, because it's because all these these religions, apart from Jesus, are demonic. Like like this whole climate change thing, you know, um, all this this gender ideology that's that's being pushed right now, where you even go to Target and everyone has their preferred pronouns on their name badge. It's demonic. So if you work at a place where they want you to to, you know use your preferred pronouns, just don't. It's demonic. It it is it is it is an antichrist religion, and you don't need to you don't need to 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 go along with or pacify any anything that's demonic in nature. You're born. God created them male or female. And, and um, it's just a, a kaleidoscope of, cha- of constantly changing religions. And when, when one thing becomes normalized enough, then it's got to be something new. It's got to be well, if you can't identify as whatever gender, then you can identify as whatever species you wanted to identify as. And it's just—it's just, it's just going to be a constant, constant cycle, man. Just without Jesus, th- things spiral into oblivion, worshiping idols. False religions, worshiping the self. And that's, that's a big one right now, worshiping the self. If you think it's right, it's right. If you feel that it's right, it's right. You know, these, these are all manifestations of, of this sin nature apart from Jesus, rejecting goodness and um, just doing everything that people can do to hinder the truth. But thank God that we have been delivered from bondage. Hallelujah. And anything, anything that, that points to bondage, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I know that I've been delivered from that house of bondage. I've been brought into a better place. I've been brought into freedom. I've been brought into the house of my father. And I love, um, Paul writes about this in Ephesians 2. Turn really quickly to Ephesians 2. And we'll start in verse 1. This is this is probably my favorite passage of scripture that talks about this, this transition, this translation, this um, from going from the house of bondage to the house of the Father, from going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I think it is, it is just the most power-packed, succinct description of this transformation that occurs um, through Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So before Jesus, you were dead. You were in trespasses and you were in sin. Amen. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. That's a great description of the house of bondage. But God, say but God. But God. Ephesians 2, verse 4. This is awesome. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been taken from that house of bondage and delivered, set free from from the sin nature, set free from Satan, set free from from falsehood. We have been set free and, and delivered by God. Jesus came to set the captives free. That's the very first thing he began his ministry with was a message of freedom. When he went to his hometown of Nazareth, this is in Luke 4, verse 16, It said he came to Nazareth. This is when he preached his very first sermon. It says he had been brought up there, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. But this day he wasn't just going to read. He was going to preach. He was going to reveal something that hadn't been revealed yet before. So that's why he kind of changed the custom this day. He began his ministry that day. It said, when he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I love that Jesus, he heals the brokenhearted. There are a lot of brokenhearted people today. You know, I I saw... um, I've been following a little bit some of the Asbury revival and one one person criticized it slightly and said it was just it was just a lot of emotion. That that generation has a lot of emotional baggage. You know, eighteen to twenty-five, there there is a lot of emotional junk. And Jesus is doing a revival in these people emotionally, and they need to have it. He is coming to, to heal the broken heart. That is what is happening amongst young people. So don't, don't criticize it for being emotional. Oh, they're just saying, Jesus, love me over and over and over. They can sing that for a million years if they want to. And you might you might think it's repetitive, you might think it's boring, you might think it's not that theological. You might But if people are getting a revelation that Jesus loves them, don't criticize it. If Jesus is healing the brokenhearted, don't criticize it. Rejoice in it. He wants to live to deliver people's spirit, soul, and body. So when people are being saved, amen, when people's souls are being healed and set free and they're going from from suicide to 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 joy, from anxiety, to, to... Let's rejoice with them. He came to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So he, he, he had been reading Scripture there in the synagogue for many years, It was his custom. But something changed this day. He brought them fresh revelation. He told them what this scripture meant. He told them what his purpose was. Jesus has a purpose. There is a purpose for delivering people from the house of bondage and setting them free. It says he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. He sat down. I I love this. This is a total like mic drop move. He just went and sat down. And that they weren't they, they wanted the sermon to continue. It says all the eyes of everyone who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them. He began he did not stop preaching this message. I believe that he continued preaching this message. He began to say to them, "Today This scripture is fulfilled in your ears, in your hearing. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to bring us out of that house of bondage. Preaching the gospel will bring freedom. Spirit, soul, and body. Preaching Jesus will bring freedom. And Jesus, he is the only way out of the house of bondage. He is the only way into the Father's house. You know, that, that way into freedom, that way into the Father's house, it is incredibly narrow. And like I said when I started my message talking about the house of bondage and, and, the, and human nature and sin and how everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And without Jesus, everyone is messed up. Without Jesus, every, every system of thought is messed up. Without Jesus, every religion is messed up. Without Jesus, everyone has stuff inside of them that's messed up. And it's incredibly narrow how, how to come out of that house of bondage. It is incredible. There, there is only one narrow way. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, and this is what sometimes upsets people, is the exclusivity of, of the claims of Jesus. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one. If he just stopped at I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, people would be fine. But he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, this is a very narrow way out of, out, of, out of that kingdom of darkness. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. There is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life, one way to eternal life, one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus, period. Just like the Israelites, when they were, God showed me this picture, speaking about leaving the house of bondage. When the Israelites left Egypt, when they left Pharaoh's rule, when they left, when they left that house of bondage, the way out was incredibly narrow. They were pinned up at the Red Sea. Moses God told Moses to take the rod and, and, and raise it up over the Red Sea, and when he did so, God, God moved. His wind blew on the Red Sea and parted the waters. And all and the way out of the house of bondage was right through the midst of the Red Sea. That was an incredibly miraculous and incredibly narrow way out of the house of bondage. People there probably thought, "Well, there, there's other ways I can get away from Egypt. I can. I can. Some people are thinking, well, maybe I'll just go back. Any other way, but that narrow way that God made, it it would have brought their imminent destruction, imminent death. Any way you try to find God except through Jesus will bring destruction. It's only through Jesus. But this is the really cool thing. Once you come through that narrow way, once you, once you say yes to Jesus, you, you, you understand the, the incredible beauty and value and importance of the cross. When you come into the promised land, it's incredibly vast. It's incredibly expansive. And actually, that, that, that promised land, the house of the Father, the, the kingdom of heaven, it's continually expanding. It doesn't stop growing. So the way in... It's narrow, but once you're there, once you're in in the house of our Father, once you're in the kingdom of light, once you're in the kingdom of Jesus, it's incredibly vast. Just like the Israelites, when they entered the promised land, I like what God spoke to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 3. It says, every place, this is God speaking to Joshua. So as they enter the promised land, the way there was incredibly narrow, but once they entered the promised land, it became incredibly vast, limitless. It was only limited by by where they could go. God spoke to Joshua and said, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. The promised land is, is limitless, it, it, you, can, you can take as much territory as, as you are able to take. Wherever your feet touch can be yours in the promised land. You have that authority. We have authority in the promised land. every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as, as I have said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. In the promised land, you need to be strong and of good courage. For to this people, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Once we enter that promised land through Jesus, through the cross, through, through the shedding of his blood, the... It's limitless. I like what Isaiah says in Isaiah 9, verse 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I like something that Moses preached to the Israelites in his last sermon, which is written down in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 11, verse 21. He talks about what the promised land is going to look like. Deuteronomy 11, verse 21, it says that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. The promised land looks like heaven. What does the promised land look like? It looks like heaven here on earth. With Jesus, he wants heaven to, to, to manifest itself here on earth. And um, man, this I'm really excited. Are you guys excited about this? Yeah. Welcome to the promised land. I'm going to talk about my favorite promise tonight. So you guys came for the best night of all. I'm going to talk about the promise of eternal life the greatest promise of all. And I'm excited about all the, all the promises I'm going to share about, but tonight I'm, I'm especially excited to talk about this. Heather and I were talking, we, um, as we read things in Scripture, we like to talk about them, try to discuss them. And she, she um, asked me, you know, what, what do you think the importance of this is when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life? And I said, Jesus is saying that, that um, he is both the promise and the one who gives the promise. He said, I am resurrection, I am life. He's saying, I, I, I am the, the fulfillment of this promise, but I also have the power to give that promise. I am resurrection, I, I will be resurrected. They'll tear, tear down this temple, but in three days, it'll be raised again. I'm resurrection, I am life. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and life. He's saying, I am the promise, but I am also the promise giver. I'm the promise keeper. Jesus is both the promise and the promise keeper. Every promise that we have here in the promised land, it, 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 is, it is in the person of Jesus, and it's also given through the person of Jesus. That's why you, you can't just seek the blessing. You have to look for, for the one who is blessed, the one who is the source of all blessing. Amen? He's both the promise and the promise keeper. Every promise we have from God, it's fulfilled in Jesus. He is the embodiment of every promise. The promise of eternal life, the promise of authority, the promise of healing, the promise of provision, the promise of peace, every single promise. It it comes through, through that narrow gate by which we enter the promised land. It only comes through him. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says it this way, for all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen to the glory of God through us. What brings glory to God? The promises that are in Jesus. When Jesus is both the promise and when he gives us those promises, that brings glory to God. A lot of people have their theology screwed up about what brings glory to God. You know, I made, I made a joke to one of our staff members today who really hates the cold. Every time it's cold, she, she just hates it. She has a, a vest that has, like, heaters inside of it. And, and um, if you go into her office, you know, my, we, we, we we're careful not to just blast the heat on all the time here at Karis Christian Center. It's a big space. There's, you know, it's big square footage, but it's a, there's a lot of cubic, cubic feet to heat here as well. So a lot of us have space heaters in our offices, but when people enter this staff member's office, she she gets upset at them for opening the door if you leave it open too long because she doesn't like being cold. And I I, I told this person, you know, when I walked in this morning, it was like 10 degrees this morning, I I said to the staff member, why do you keep praying for it to be so cold? I know you keep praying for for sub-zero temperatures. And you're just praying for it because it brings you so much pain and suffering and you wish this... You, you, you want that pain and suffering because you think it'll bring glory to God, but you need to stop praying that because your pain and suffering, and it doesn't bring glory to God. And we all had a chuckle about that because uh, she definitely doesn't pray for sub-zero temperatures, and, and we all know that freezing or sliding around on the roads and Anyways, a lot of people are kind of screwed up with their theology. What brings glory to God? Sickness does not bring glory to God. Poverty does not bring glory to God. Defeat does not bring glory to God. The promises and the promises that are in fulfillment, that brings glory to God. Every promise comes through a relationship with him. It comes through knowing him. And this all begins with the greatest promise of all, which is eternal life. And I want to look at at when Jesus spoke this to Martha, the eye and the resurrection and the life. Let's go to John 11, verse 25. So... He's speaking to Martha, and Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He was saying to her, I I am the resurrection, I am the life. And he was going to make it evident. He was going to prove it out. I love that when Jesus, Jesus didn't just say things, he did things to back up what, What his claims were. He is both the promise of resurrection, he is the one that gives us resurrection and the one that gives us that promise of eternal life. And he proves that. Let's skip down to verse 38. It said, Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So Lazarus at the time had been dead four days. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who is dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Again, God's glory, what brings God glory? The the glory of God is is the person of Jesus. The promises that, that that are just embedded in him and when he manifests, when he gives these promises, when he ushers us, threw himself into the promised land. If you believe on me, you will see the glory of God. That is how we see the promises come to pass, is by believing on Jesus. And he'll take us into greater realms of the promised land. Verse 41, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. He was bringing him out of the house of bondage. He was showing everyone that he could bring people out of the house of bondage, out of death, and bring them into eternal life. He was proving that he was both the resurrection and the life. He is both the promise and the one who who gives us the promises in that promised land. Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did and believed in him. I love that they believed in him. Jesus is both the promise and the promise keeper. All right, now I want to talk a little bit more about eternal life and just the beautiful promise of eternal life that we all have as believers. Knowing Jesus is eternal life. It's all through a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said this in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The promise of eternal life comes through knowing Jesus. So I want to talk about what it means to know Jesus. What does it mean to know God, to know Jesus? It's more than just knowing about him. It's more than just knowing about his teachings. It's more than just knowing what he may have looked like, where he had lived, where he had traveled, where he had ministered. It's not just knowing him with your natural senses and your natural reasoning. You have to know him in your spirit. As as believers, we must tune into the realm of the spirit. And, And... um. That, that is where we know Jesus. That is where we hear his voice. That is where we experience him and, and have a relationship with him is in the realm of the spirit. You can't just know him in the physical realm. You have to know him in the spirit realm. And as I was kind of talking to Heather about this and the importance of this, um, the, there are several examples. Um, one is, is uh, his followers that were on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus. After, after, after Jesus had died, he was buried, he rose again, he, he just came up upon his followers as they were going on the road to a maze, and he started talking to them, but they didn't, they didn't know who he was. They could see him in the physical realm, they could hear his voice. If he smelled, they could smell what he smelled like, they, they could, but they didn't know him until he started preaching scripture to them. He probably was preaching Isaiah 61 to them, he was he was preaching the the, the you know the, the law and the prophets and 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 as as they as their spiritual eyes started opening that they realized who this person was. That they knew him. And the only way we can really see Jesus, the only way we can really know Jesus, the only way we can really value him and, and experience eternal life from this moment and forevermore, it is through through knowing him in the realm of the spirit. And that, that is why we always need to—to—to—to to, 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 to value the, the move of the spirit and to be sensitive to what the spirit is saying and what this, the spirit is doing, and not to just be constantly criticizing things with our, our physical senses, with your with your emotions. A lot—a lot of even a lot of charismatic people can can get very emotional and and just be led by their emotions. And, and um, it's very dangerous to say, this thing that I'm feeling in my emotions is the voice of God. It's a very dangerous thing to do. Let's look at John 4. I want to talk about the Samaritan woman at the well. Well, This is an incredibly important account in Scripture, and I'm glad that John uh, devoted nearly an entire chapter of his gospel to this account because this is the first time that Jesus publicly declared who he was. But when he did so, when, he, when you can see it when he's communicating with the woman at the well, he didn't want her to just know who he was in the physical realm. He was trying to, trying to get her to understand who he was in the realm of the Spirit. And I like, I like studying this back-and-forth conversation because they're, they're on two completely different planes, two completely different realms. There is a physical realm. There is a spiritual realm. Both realms are realities. God cares about both realms. He cares about your physical being. He cares about your, your physical life here on the earth. He cares, and he cares so much about it that, that he, being a spirit, became manifest in, in the physical realm. He cares, he cares about this realm, but so, so we shouldn't deny it and say this realm doesn't matter. Our life here on, the, on this earth matters. There's purpose to it, but we need to be led by the spirit. There is a spiritual realm as well. And I love this conversation because you can see, even in scripture, a lot of people look at scripture just through, just through physical realm type understanding. You need to look at it through, through, through the, the Spirit as well. Let's read here in John 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. He, he knew himself that he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. Why was he wearied from his journey? He was tired. He had a physical body. He dwelt in the physical realm. He had a physical body. He walked. He got tired. He got thirsty. He needed to take a break. When I first started dating Heather, I would, I'd take her on hikes. I'd take Fisher on hikes. Fisher was only four or five at the time. And, and Fisher would say, my knees are tired. My knees are tired. He, he'd walk just a little ways and, and get tired. And it took him a little while to get used to living in Colorado and, and going on hikes with me. And eventually he, he got much better. I, I bought him a Camelback, one of these Camelback uh, water backpacks. And he thought it was the coolest thing ever. I, I don't know how much water this thing carried, I think it carried like 64 ounces of, of water. But, but um, we went on a little hike um, in Ute Valley Park, close to where I lived at the time. And um, he drank the entire 64 ounces in like 10 minutes. And he, um, he drank from the spring of water that never ran dry. And, um, but his you know, f- four-year-old body could not contain. So, so like every five minutes, he had to stop. And relieve himself because he had a physical body. Jesus was worried. He had to sit down. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So this is, this is the only physical realm thing that Jesus says to this woman this entire conversation. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Physical realm. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to talk. You don't like me. I don't like you. Jesus answered and said to her, and he just basically ignored everything she was saying. She's just trying to pull the race card. Jesus answered, and he he just completely ignores it. Some some, Some things as a church we can just ignore. We don't have to address. We don't have to go into whatever. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. He he wants this woman to know him, not to see a Jew, not to see a man, not to see someone who's tired and dirty and weird from their journey. He, he, He is after her knowing him for who he really is in the realm of the spirit. So he's just speaking spiritual things to him. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the promises of God, if you knew that I am the promise and the promise keeper. I am the giver of all promises. If you knew who I really am, you would have asked of me. You would, have, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have, she goes right back, right? Just completely different It's like Jesus is in technicolor and she's just in black and white. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. She's just looking at the circumstances, looking at the situation. I really just want to run off, but you'll probably die of thirst here. You don't even have a bucket or a cup or anything. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater? And then she goes back to the race thing, the the division thing. Every every other system of thought, every philosophy, every religion, every political movement without Jesus brings division. Everyone who seeks justice apart from Jesus, it's going to bring more division. Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. She's saying, you might think you're great. You're a Jew. You're, you're from Jacob. I'm also a descendant from Jacob. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's kind of meeting her a little bit where she's at. You're talking about this water. All right, if you drink from this water, you will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He's just going deeper and deeper and deeper in, in, in the realm of the spirit, trying, trying to just... He, he's not, he's not going to go to the shallow end of this pool. The church, you know, the... the Spirit-filled churches, spirit-filled believers, you can stay, stay in the deep end. Make people come to where you're at. Jesus made her get out of her shallow, shallowness and come to where he was at. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Here, something's starting to happen in her revelation. She's not quite there yet. Verse 19, she says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet our fathers again she goes back to back to back to religion back to race back to division back to what she's clinging on to for her identity for her hope our fathers worshiped on this mount and you jews say that in jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship so she's saying my my way is right but maybe there's something right about you maybe you are a prophet maybe jews can worship god as well But Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. It's not about location, it's not about it's not about tradition. It's not about the way things have been done. And and he just goes right for the jugular here. He says, You worship what you do not know. He's saying, You don't even know what you're doing. You're lost. He's not very kind to her. He's not really worried about her feelings. He is on the deep end. He is in the realm of the spirit. And he's just telling her flat out, you do not even know what you're worshiping. You don't even know what you're doing. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. He's trying to, to, trying to reveal He wants her to know Him in the realm of the spirit. Dolan the said to him, "I know that Messiah is coming." She's getting a little bit closer. Warmer, you are you I perceive that you're a prophet, but I don't want to give up my way of worshiping. I don't want to give up my truth, I don't want to give up my thinking, I don't want to give up my tradition, I want to give up my customs. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. When he spoke that, that is the very first time publicly he, he declared who he was, that he was the Messiah, he was the Christ, he was the one to bring salvation. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And I believe at this point something, something just went off in her and she didn't just see in the physical realm, she saw in the, in the spiritual realm. And it says later on that she went to the entire town, she started evangelizing this entire town of Sakaar. And she says this in verse verse thirty nine. Let's go to verse thirty nine. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. She had a testimony. He who told he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed there two days, and it said many more believed because of his own word. It wasn't just the word of this this woman at the well. It wasn't just just the testimony that she had, but they believed him because of his own word. They believed the words of Jesus. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you have said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that he indeed is the Christ, the savior of the world. We believe because we know the gift of God. We know that God wants to give us salvation. We know that salvation comes through Jesus. He is the Christ. Eternal life comes through knowing Jesus. So in conclusion, welcome to the promised land. You have left the house of bondage. You have entered a place of freedom. You have left a place of death. You have entered a place of eternal life, which only comes through knowing Jesus. In this promised land, everything keeps getting better and better and better. Things don't shrink. They just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Amen? Revival doesn't slow down. It just spreads like wildfire. And I believe we're going to see all types of revival in our own day. We're going to see great revival in the realm of the spirit, in the soul, and in the body. Great salvation, great deliverance um, in people's emotions, great healings, great outpourings of the spirit. We're going to see it like never before. Amen. And we're going to see things that don't put God in a box. He, um, he, he, he doesn't fit so well in your theology box. He's going to pop out and surprise you. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.carischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.